0: Hamza Yousaf has arguably had the toughest job in government in recent years. As health secretary, he's been on the receiving end of constant criticism while the NHS struggles to cope after the pandemic. But with votes now being cast by SNP members in the contest to replace Nicola Sturgeon, he is talking up his chances. Courier political editor Derek Healy discussed his plans in an exclusive interview published alongside recordings of rivals Kate Forbes and Ash Regan. He doubles down on independence, saying Scotland could be out of the UK in just five years. He discusses the possibility of being Scotland's first Muslim first minister, along with fears for his family over racist abuse. And he addresses claims of failing upwards in government. Derek started by asking if a Hamza Yusuf government would be any different to the one being left by Nicola Sturgeon.
1: So it's an interesting label that some have given me. So I, I am very different to Nicola. I like Nicola a lot. I admire her a lot, but we're two pretty different Personalities. I suppose, in some respects, people might not have been able to see that because they've seen me as they know me as Health Secretary. Before that, they knew me as Justice Secretary. And so, and of course, before that, as Transport Secretary. So maybe they've not had a chance to see what I'm like. My Personality is different, but my leadership style is different, and I'm not uh, criticising Nicola because her leadership style has worked for her and worked for us as a party. But we all know because it's well, it's been well documented that her style is 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 a bit more inner circle. Uh, mine's is big tent. Uh, you know, I like to take advice from my colleagues. I think they're exceptionally talented. I want to try to harness all that talent that exists right across the political party. Um, so that would be my leadership uh, style. Uh, in terms of government, obviously, uh, I don't want to be presumptuous. Uh, we've still got a long way to go in this contest. Everything is up for grabs. I think it will be a really tight race between, certainly, I think uh, Kate, Kate, Kate and I as the uh, two, two, two front runners. If I am leader of the SNP and the First Minister, I want to make sure that uh, you know we are utilising that next generation uh, that is in the party, doing us so proud, doing us really well. Uh, and, and I think there's an opportunity for that next generation.
0: Generation to step forward, particularly with both Nicola and John stepping away from government. Yeah, Nicola talked about wanting to be judged on her record on attainment, and we know how important care experienced young people are to her as well. So outside of independence, we'll, we'll come to that in a second. What really drives you in politics? What's your sort of defining mission? It is to not just reduce poverty but eradicate it. It's inequality.
1: You know, I am I've always been taught taught by my parents that for every blessing we have it's but by the grace of god that you know it is down to down to luck and circumstance you know you could be you have bought you could have been in a born in a postcode elsewhere and and, and had different life chances that's not right that's not right not in 2023 not in the scotland that we live in in the scotland that we love and i want every child to have the same opportunities my girls do you know, I've got, I'm blessed in life to be able to give my children a really good start in life. And, uh, you know, I'm going to continue to be able to do that, I would hope, throughout the course of their life. That is not the same for every Scot and every child of Scotland. And that's what motivates me, to make sure that every single child in Scotland gets the same opportunity as my girls. No ifs, no buts.
0: I promise we we'll talk a little bit about independence, so let's do that. Um, ben McPherson, who's been a close ally in your campaign, has talked up a more gradual push but I know you've distanced yourself a little bit from from that kind of idea. If you are First Minister, when will Scotland be independent? I think I mean I can't pluck a date out for you, uh, but it will be uh,
1: within years. Uh, I don't think it will. I don't think it will be that Are we long. talking Five years, ten no,
0: years. No, I think I think within, uh, within five
1: years I would want Scotland to be uh, independent. I, I mean, I you know Ben endorsed me, I didn't endorse him. So you know I, I'm appreciative of his support for my campaign, but Ben knows I take a very different approach. Uh, I think instead of uh, you know going down a gear, we go up a gear. If I would go up several gears. So one of the first things I would do uh, as leader of the SNP and first minister is publish some of those independence papers because we have to have the arguments to be able to give to our activists to make the case on the doorstep so we'll be doing that and we'll also kick start the yes campaign you know, Instead of ramping down, if that is the correct term, we'll ramp up. We'll make sure that the Yes campaign is fully mobilised. Those Yes groups, I think there's about 136 of them right across the country, are fully mobilised and we are kicking off that campaign because it's only with that consistent majority for independence do we get our independence. The process actually takes care of itself once you have that popular support. And we have to be upfront, we have to be really honest about it. We don't have
0: that consistent majority yet, so we've got to build it. Well I wanted to ask you about the process, I know you say it takes care of itself, but I have been I've been waiting and listening to some of the hustings and some of the debates, waiting to hear a really clear outline of how you deal with the problem of having a UK government that doesn't seem to want to to engage with the conversation. They don't want to have another independence referendum take place. So if we're to headline this, you know, Hamza Yousaf's plan for independence, see that as what does that look like? How do you get around that problem?
1: Well, I think the way you get around it is by building that popular support. So, I accept the point you're making. The process is, of course, important, and, and there's a range of different avenues you could go down. You could use a general election as a de facto. You could use a Hollywood election, for example, to demonstrate that popular support. But none of those process points actually determine a path forward unless you have the continued majority. Unless you have that consistent majority support, and that's what that's how we got our Scottish Parliament. You know, governments and governments denied Scotland's voice. To have its own parliament, but of course, when that was undeniable, as as Canon Kenyan Wright uh, said, you know, we say yes, we are the people. Uh, When uh, that consistent voice couldn't be ignored, that consistent majority couldn't be ignored. Donald Dewar called it, I think, famously the settled will, and that couldn't be ignored. Then actually, the next time to demonstrate at the ballot box, um, uh, of course, we 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 had the formation uh, of the Scottish Parliament. So um, I see the process being similar. I see that we, you know, and we're not starting from base zero. We're starting from a very strong base, uh, indeed 50-50, I would say, and therefore we build upon that. And then any opportunity to demonstrate at that at the ballot box, um, we will do that, and it will become politically impossible unless. A political party wants to, you know, be completely obliterated in Scotland. Um,
0: eventually, uh, of course, that that voice will, ha- will cannot be ignored. But within f- five years, though, was a timescale you talked about. That's extremely difficult to see how you would. No, um, not, not, not you you,
1: no, not if you build, time. not if you build the consistent majority support for it. It's not uh, because we have a number of electoral avenues by which to pursue that uh, in the next five years. General election, of course, being uh, the next one, and then of course a uh, Holyrood election uh, too. But independence is inevitable. It's coming. Anybody who looks at uh, the support and where that support lies um, and and the growth of that support will see that it is inevitable. It's just um, a case for us of speeding the process up and the way we do that
0: uh, as a party and as a vehicle for independence is that consistent majority support. So for you then, it's not a, you know a de facto referendum; wouldn't be the right way to go. I wouldn't, I, I, I wouldn't stage. take, I wouldn't take it
1: off the table. I think what I've said is, is that I'm not wedded to Nicola Sturgeon. Uh, understandably so, said it was her preferred model. I think we just have a discussion about whether or not that is the preferred model. I think it's right. I mean, one of the reasons the special conference was postponed uh, was because it was. I don't think it was right for for Nicola, as the outgoing leader, to to necessarily state a preference. And we know the weight of leadership uh, in these decisions. I think it was right that we stepped back from that allow the membership to have that discussion and ultimately leadership should take forward the collective mandate of our membership.
0: I would imagine that any person kind of vying to be the next SNP first minister would dream of being the one to deliver independence you know a big statue somewhere no doubt a few years down the line have you uh, have you had any of those daydreams? Well I don't dream of statues
1: uh, I have to say (laughs) but uh, yeah of course of course I do and uh you know, I, I I have dreamt of independence for a long long time, and uh, I would I would want to be the first minister that delivers independence for Scotland. Our people deserve nothing less. I'm talking to you from one of the yes cities, of course, Dundee, uh, arguably the yes city. Some will suggest, given how high it pulled during the independence. Referendum campaign. I think the people of Scotland are ready for independence and I want to be the one who delivers it.
0: You know, speaking of making history, you've been a, a history maker already at Parliament in a number of ways. First South Asian, then Muslim cabinet minister in the Scottish Government. Uh, you'd also be the first Muslim First Minister. And I can only imagine, you know, what that would mean for uh, Muslim people, young and old, right across Scotland. What would it mean for you and your family?
1: it means a lot you know be, to be able to, to to make these kind of cracks in the in the glass ceiling the proverbial glass ceiling uh, to me has been a source of great pride in the number of people who've come up to me uh, over the years to say that they've taken inspiration from that and some people not even in my political party people from other political parties that have said and I, I'm certainly they say also of you know good people like like Anna Sawar who've uh, you know he, he he himself has made history uh, I think the first ethnic minority leader uh, of, a, of a of a political party um, anywhere in the in the UK if I'm right so you know I think we should take pride in the fact that our nation—you know—we've had—we're in the midst of this selection contest, and actually, people aren't asking me about whether or not it's even acceptable for somebody who uh, who who's who comes from a different racial background to the majority, whether or not that person. Is, is fit to be first minister and we take that for granted we don't even consider it a question which is good but that's not the case in every country um you know there are many countries i'm afraid out there where your race if it was not if it's not the majority race uh then that that that, that just r- r- rules you out of contention uh for a job uh certainly uh, certainly you wouldn't get the popular support uh, for 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 that role, so I'm really proud of us as a country and nation. That's not to say racism doesn't exist. Trust me, I know uh, how much uh, uh, how how um you know, unfortunately how often uh, people of colour have to deal uh, with racism and Islamophobia in my case, um, but we should take some pride. So I hope it does send a signal. For my family, you know, I'll be honest, it's, it's exciting, but also in one sense terrifying for the family because life completely changes if you are uh, the First Minister of Scotland. And uh, I think you know this, Derek, because you and I have spoken before. You know, I'm a really hands-on dad. Um, and, you know, uh, we've got to make sure, uh, I say this, we as a family unit that if I am in that position then
0: you know there's got to be boundaries there so I don't completely miss my children growing up. I think I know that was a big concern for you as well um, when you were considering whether or not to run Was, was that was that a really tough choice um, having to consider all
1: that, it was, and the trouble is, you don't get long to think about it. Yeah. So
0: Nicholas Sturgeon resigns on the Wednesday. To be frank, if you're going to do
1: this, and anybody you know who, who's involved in politics knows this, if you're going to do it, you've really got to be the first at the traps to launch your campaign, and you know, so you've got days to really think about it. And uh, ultimately, uh, for me. Um, those few days were spent talking to my family not just my wife and and, and uh, certainly my older daughter who's 13 who understands these things uh, better but my, my parents my sisters uh their partners uh, and really spent most of that time because the desire was there to do it you know i've been 10 and ten and a half a half years in government you know i've i've believed what I've, I've got what it takes to try to bring something positive to the role first minister so, so, so the desire was there but the 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 factor that was perhaps pulling me away from doing it was just the impact it was have my family. So my wife has made it very clear to me, and she's right to do so, that she said, you know, she often says to me, you know what my expectations of you are in terms of your role as a husband and as a father. So um, she is right to, to remind me of that expectation and, and while I will do the job relentlessly as I do uh, health secretary, I ensure there
0: are boundaries there. I wanted to ask you a little bit about the racism side of things. Um, don't focus on it too much. Um, I think you know, I, I think the very first time I met you, very briefly in person, was a long time ago now, when you were handing out copies of The Big Issue mm. outside of Queen Street Station in Glasgow. Um, I don't expect you to remember that. I do that, remember so. it. it probably, don't know, there you go. It was probably about 10 years ago, uh, and I certainly wasn't a political journalist at the time. Uh, but I remember it because it all seemed you know, really good-natured and people were coming up to say hello and and speak to you. Um, But then that evening, you know, just a few hours later, I saw a video going a little bit viral online of a guy who came up to you and said some really horrible, kind of racist stuff to you. And it stuck with me because of how quickly that tone seemed to change, but also because how well you handled the situation um, on camera as well. Um, It very clearly wasn't the first time that you'd had to deal with with that kind of thing Um, and I know there have been incidents recently where you've had to speak to the police since becoming, uh, since announcing your intention to become First Minister. How concerned are you about some of that kind of stuff? You know, I'd imagine it would be quite worrying, um, you know, having a young family not knowing fully what that reaction is going to be like it's concerning. I mean, it's one of those issues we talked about, again, as a family,
1: when we kind of hunker down for a few days. Um, And, and I worry probably more so about my, my kind of teenage uh, stepdaughter. And, uh, you know, she is now at that age where she's a bit more aware of what's going on in the world. Uh, you know, when she takes, she goes to, to, to local school, she walks to the bus, takes the bus. Uh, to school in the morning and you know i've had to have a conversation with her which is really to me i shouldn't really be having to have with my child but i've had to have that conversation about this is what you look out for if you feel unsafe this is what you do this is who you call you know and, and and anything suspicious or what you worry about you come to me and tell me and i'll You know if necessary approach the police or the the appropriate authorities and it just doesn't feel like a conversation you should be having with your 13 year old Mm -hmm. daughter and of course life then completely changes if i'm successful in under under two weeks but look i've been living with racism and and bigotry of some sort my entire life and the sad fact and the sad reality Derek, is even if i'm first minister unfortunately for many people they will see the color of my skin first and they will make a judgment based on the color of my skin it will be the first thing they do. Some will do it unconsciously, um, but some will do it very consciously. And it doesn't matter what position a person of colour gets to, even if it's the top job in Scotland, there will be some people who sadly will judge me on the colour of my skin. And I will have to deal with that. And I've dealt with it, trust me. And uh, I'm not having a pop at the, the media, uh, media play an important role. But even in some sections of the media, it is clear that as they that there is structural racism and Islamophobia uh, through the coverage that I've had over o- over the years, I don't doubt that. And that's not everybody. I certainly, and I don't include you, uh, or, or 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 the paper that you work for in that regard. Um, but uh, structural racism and Islamophobia is something I'm going to be dealing with. I'm afraid my entire life, because whether I like it or not, uh, I am a minority
0: in this country, uh, and it will always, I'm afraid, be thus. Yeah, just just for our listeners who may not be aware, um, one of the incidents you've spoken about publicly recently was when you're out walking on Broughty Ferry Beach with your three-year-old daughter. It's just hard to imagine what could possibly go through somebody's mind where they think that's a time to approach somebody in any kind of way. Um, how often is that kind of thing happening? Is that is that a fairly frequent thing? Or... Uh, no, not often in truth. And, and, and I'm pleased that it's not often. It's very rare, actually. Most of the abuse comes online.
1: and um, but, it, but, but yeah, you know, it's just... I, I'm like you, I'm just astonished that people can see me out with my kids and my family and think that's the time to 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 decide to uh, abuse or, or or you know them um, racially abuse me but even just actually give abuse i mean i've been out before with family and people have approached me about the health service and i don't mind because people want to talk to me about the health service but then it kind of tips over sometimes into into uh, a bit more abusive and i'm with my family and i'm not sure what motivates people to to necessarily do that so it's again it's a it's a concern but you know you got to put your when you put yourself up for these roles you 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 think about these things you do what you can to protect your family as best you possibly can but unfortunately the reality is for my children too that they will have to from a very young age uh, learn how to deal with racism and islamophobia but they will just have to. Uh, the first racism that I encountered was when I was in, gosh, was it primary two or three? Now I forget. But it was it was it was that kind of age uh, that I had to deal with my first racism. And Of course, my 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 fellow people who who who, who uh, was racist to me at the time. But of course, that was learned behaviour from probably a parent or a family member. It wasn't.
0: Uh, it didn't come from a a, a seven year old uh, inherently. So I'm afraid. Uh, That is the reality. Yeah, hopefully having role models and and senior positions in government and senior positions in life um, helps to tackle that a little bit um, going forward. So I think that's hopefully why it's important i always have a kind of quick fire round with you on policy. All oh, uh, right. Good. And some kind of good. Issues well, policy, see the quick fire stuff on
1: policy. I find it's even easier. I see when people ask me quick fire questions about what was the last Netflix program I watched or my favorite <laughs> joke. Honestly, the brain freezes. So, yeah, let's do quick fire on policy. We'll, we'll wish
0: favorite joke first of
1: all. <laughs> so, my brother in law actually phoned me a couple of days ago. And I thought he was phoning me to let me know, you know, kind of, Hamza, you're doing great in the campaign, keep going. But he literally phoned me. He also lives in Dundee. He literally phoned me to just say, Hamza, what do you prefer, little cute babies or mata babies? I said, What's a mata baby? And he said, <laughs> What's a matter with you, baby? <laughs> and i laughed a lot actually but i said i said to him is that the only reason you called he said yep yep see you later on so that, that's, that, a,
0: that's a classic brother joke that's, that's is a classic <laughs> brother joke so yeah i've, I've taken yeah. that joke uh but uh, yeah that is one of my favorite jokes at the moment excellent how do you follow that with policy but here we go <laughs> go for um, it um so the a96 and a9 Julian. If you're First Minister, when will those be delivered?
1: So I couldn't give a time frame. It would be a disingenuous of me to pretend otherwise, but I can tell you that I'm committed to the what, dealing... what,
0: what would be our target, you
1: know? uh, what, what would you a target? Nice try. It doesn't matter how many times you ask the question <laughs> or in different ways. But look, i will I'll I'll, I'll committed to dueling the A9 and indeed uh, we're committed as a party to dueling the A96, particularly the Inverness to Nairn plus Nairn Bypass. The difference with the A96, of course, is that the other, uh, the rest of the route is going through those options appraisals. Now, I, I'm expecting that options appraisal, the next stage of that to, to come forward this summer. So it'd be one of the first things the new First Minister would have to deal with and make a decision on A9. That is a, a cast iron a commitment that we need to push forward with, but it is important we do that with the responsibility of the public finances. I hope people understand that because, you know, we cannot pay through the nose for a project because we'd rightly be questioned about our responsibility to public finances. And I hope the people, uh, particularly who live around Perth and, and Inverness and, and, and use that route, uh, will understand that. But they also want to see action. Um, so so I'm committed to,
0: to trying to make progress on that as quickly as possible. Um, Kate Forbes has pledged immediate action, if she becomes First Minister, to help deliver a direct ferry link from the south to Europe. Will you do the same? Will you make that pledge?
1: So I absolutely looked at this when I was Transport Minister. Unfortunately, you know, the feasibility in terms of the cost didn't work out, but I would love to have a ferry link to, to Europe. Um, so I would certainly be up for looking at that uh, uh, route. So, uh, but, it, but essentially, it's ultimately uh, going to depend on whether it's commercially viable uh, or not. And if we can make it commercially viable, and if we can help within our state aid rules to make it commercially
0: viable, help, for example, the subsidy, something I'm definitely up for. You've had strong backing um, from your SNP colleagues in Dundee. How are you planning to reward them for that loyalty? A clean sweep, right? From Dundee, I think. Um, And and pretty good
1: from from Angus and a lot of uh, support from Perthshire as well. Um, So, uh, look, I'm going to reward them by doing uh, exactly what I've said I will do. Uh, I'm going to bring forward some radical and bold policies. Um, I'm going to make sure their policies also uh, impact and help the people of Dundee. We know in Dundee for example, that we're still facing far too much uh, deprivation and inequality. We know that drugs deaths are too high. Um, we know that there's still an issue around affordable housing, uh, particularly for young people. So there's a number of range of policies that I've brought forward to try to tackle uh, each of those. But I'll say something else in terms of the the local government side, and John Alexander is doing a, a brilliant job. And uh, so a full declaration, of course, my wife is a local Dundee city councillor. Um, I think it's really important that people like john alexander and our local government colleagues feel like part of the team in the snp so i'd be really
0: keen to make sure that they're also part of our political cabinet strategy going forward way to ask you about the leadership race itself mm-hmm. i bet you couldn't believe your luck when you saw some of the uh, views being shared by kate forbes at early stages of the of the, of the race but according to the polls you are still trailing behind her and that's despite having uh, the backing of some of those big figures you just described um, some people have called it the sort of so-called Sturgeon wing of the party, um, getting right behind you. Wh- why do you think that is? Why don't you, you are still trailing in those polls? I think the whole party is the Sturgeon wing of the party.
1: To be <laughs> frank, I mean she has. You know, I I've not met a member yet who doesn't think she's she's done an exceptional job, uh, or indeed John Swinney. So I mean, of course, the polls. There's two things I would say about the polls. Uh, first of all, if you dig into the detail of the SNP support. And of course, as SNP members who will uh, pick the next leader of the SNP, uh, I've increased my support. And I think my nearest rival, uh, Kate, has dropped her support by about 25 points, I was seeing yesterday, but a significant drop, pretty much a collapse, actually, in amongst the SNP support. So that tells us that, you know, for those who are our base, who are going to support us, and we are the dominant political force in Scotland, I'm I'm, I'm leading by, by quite some distance. In terms of the public, two things I'll say about public. One, I think it would be fair to say, Derek, I've probably got the toughest job in government at the toughest time. And I don't doubt that that is one reason why the public could feel some frustration towards the health service. I understand why, because there's still challenges there. And there go the person who's health secretary will will receive some of that uh, challenge back to them. But if you look at the last three weeks, when I first launched my campaign just over three weeks ago, I've now managed to quadruple support amongst the public. And that to me tells me that the more people see of me, the more they hear what my vision is for a progressive, socially just Scotland, then the more that they are coming on board with the vision that
0: I have. So if I could do that within three weeks, think about what I could do within three months. Well, Kate Forbes says that you have failed in all of your major posts in government. Um, We've seen repeated calls for your resignation in recent months as well. Um, Opposition parties say you're trying to fail upwards. I'm sure you've seen that criticism. Um, what would you say to members of the public who will have seen that as well and and maybe concerned about your record in government? Well, the opposition uh, will always, of course, attack uh, the government. That's their job and that's their prerogative. So
1: they, they, they will absolutely always do that. It seems to me they're pretty feared. And I have to say particularly Labour, uh, given that uh, I'm uh, uh, unashamedly progressive and they're worried that if I, of course, lead the SNP and continue to build on that progressive agenda, that any thought of a Labour resurgence disappears. So I can understand particularly why Labour... Uh, are concerned, and let's be honest, the Conservatives now are a busted flush, and particularly under Douglas Ross, who's, I um, think I'm right in saying, the most unpopular elected politician in the country by quite some distance. So, you know, that's why the opposition will, will will say what they say. In terms of the public, uh, I would say I've got a good track record of delivery, whether it's in transport, where we and I uh, made sure I led on improvements to roads, new rail stations, and, of course, delivered the Queensferry Crossing uh, under budget whether it was justice and extended provisions uh, to protect marginalized group groups from hate whether it was extending protections for domestic abuse victims whether it was pardoning uh, minors who were convicted during the minor strike in 84 85 and then as health secretary yep there's challenges i'll be the first to admit you and i have spoken on many occasions about some of those challenges and i hope people realize and they know that those challenges have been greatly exacerbated by a global pandemic but there's also been successes whether it's the covid booster rollout the Fastest in the UK. The fact we haven't lost a single day in the NHS. To strike action, very different to the rest of the UK, and we're beginning to see waiting lists reduce for the longest waits in our NHS. So, look, I've got a track record that's seen me being re-elected, you know,
0: just you know, 2021, 20, not not long ago, with an increased majority. The final question: Um, I don't know if you've seen the the series House of Cards. Uh, yes. I but when he when he finally gets into the Oval office, he kind have of, you know, dum dum, does that iconic knock on the desk? If you are our next first minister and <laughs> you finally get into a big office, I know it's a bit small than the one in the White House slightly and you sit down at the desk what's the first thing you're going to do I'm going to give my kids
1: and my wife the biggest squeeze and the hug uh, that I possibly can because you know this is such was going to be such a big moment for us as a family um, so I want my family to be around me at that moment because you're right it is you know, for all the politics and the policies <laughs> Um, you know it's a huge huge moment I think when you first walk into Butte House and you're right you're first behind uh, that desk so um, I'll, uh, I'll uh, certainly be holding them tight and want them to be part
0: of that that moment far less ominous than Frank Underwood <laughs> in um, many different ways yes yeah uh, that's great Hamza. thanks very much for, for taking the time